Welcome to Radio B&R, a podcast production of the Baptist and Reflector, the official news journal of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. Radio B&R, keeping Tennessee Baptists informed about the issues impacting their lives and churches. Hello and welcome into this edition of Radio BNR. I'm your host, Chris Turner, Director of Communications for the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. And today our guest is Benji Shaw, who is in Memphis and works with Baptist Collegiate Ministry. But but Benji, you you have a lot of titles. So what exactly do you do? Yeah, three titles. Uh, for the TBM, as far as the TBMB is concerned, I'm a Collegiate Ministry Specialist. I'm the campus minister at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center Baptist Collegiate Ministry, but I was hired to be the Metro Memphis BCM director. So anything that we have that's a campus ministry in the city of Memphis that's not the University of Memphis will be my responsibility, and we're hoping to start expanding uh, and add additional campuses beginning in the fall. I'm also the president of the President of Baptist Collegiate Ministries of Memphis, which is our parent corporation that governs all the collegiate ministry in Memphis, and this is a, is a subsidiary of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. Or I guess that's technically still the yeah, convention. Yeah, it you is. Can, you can tell me that. Yeah, no, that's that's <laughs> it. Um, well, that's a lot. But the bottom line is, you spend a lot of time working with college students, and especially here at the medical uh, center, the BCM here, that's 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 located near. UT uh, Health Science, uh, you spend a lot of time working with people that are between 18 and 25 years of age. J- just give us a little synopsis about what it is that you see, uh, folks that come through and, and the type of individuals that you connect with. Yeah, at uh, UT Health, uh, we've got the, the super smart folks. I'm, I'm not in an undergraduate institution, which makes me different than pretty much every other BCM that I know of with a few exceptions. We have students who are in medical school, who are in dental school, who are in pharmacy school. So these are folks who um, I've described them as as the top 5% of everything they've ever done without ever really having to try hard. Yeah. Uh, So I either, I get get two real extremes uh, here. I get the students who uh, believe in Christ and who know why they believe and who are really dedicated and committed to their faith. And I get students who don't believe and know why they don't believe and are very dedicated to that. Um, we, we've got a lot of intermingling of those students, which is a little different than a lot of places that I've been as well. Uh, this is the third campus that I've gotten to work on. And most of the time, you're around Christian students. Uh, here, we do a weekly lunch, and that's about the only regular thing we do because their schedules are so busy. But... On a given week, if we have 60 students here, it's possible that of those 60, 30 to 40 aren't Christians. Yeah, give us, because you were talking a little bit earlier about the the type of, you know, agnostics or people that come from different faith backgrounds and giving a little bit of a background of the different ethnic backgrounds, but certainly the different religious backgrounds that you're dealing with and folks that are coming through here. Just give us a little synopsis of of some of those that you're encountering. So we are diversity. Um, If if you are at one of our lunch programs, you know, week to week it can vary a little bit, but on on our best week when we're at our most diverse, we have uh, white students, we have African-American students, we have Hispanic students, we have Asian students, we have students who are Muslim, we have students who are Buddhist, Hindu, uh, some fringe groups from Hinduism. We have a couple of Mormon guys. We've got agnostics who are former Muslims, who are former Christians, who are former 
anything. We, we've got a couple of secular Jewish students who are in and out. Uh, we've got a couple of dedicated Jewish students who are in and out. Um, week to week, our audience is about as diverse as you yeah. can get in almost any way that you can slice diversity. Yeah, it sounds like just that whole, it really is this cross-cultural uh, intersection of religions and obviously, you know, a cookie cutter presentation of the gospel. And you talked about the intellect. This isn't just throw out four spiritual laws and see people come to Christ. You, you obviously must spend a lot of time reasoning with people, as Paul talks about. Yeah, we, um, th- they've heard all that stuff. And they know why they don't agree with it. And so our approach is, is generally speaking, you know, I, I've got maybe 10 minutes on a Thursday to present a topic. And all I'm trying to do is get them to think about it differently. And we've got a, a leadership team here of, uh, I think we're eight or nine students right now. We, we work a lot with them on how to talk with their friends and their colleagues and their classmates about these types of issues. And so I really see, my, my role on a Thursday is to kind of set it up and make, make a presentation, present a topic, present an idea in such a way that's a little bit different that at least gets people curious so that they will then go and either seek me out to talk to me or find one of those people on leadership. So when you're looking at just that, that group of people you're talking about and the diversity of thought, does it sound like there's any lack of spirituality, but it's a, it, it's a not so more of a skeptic's perspective. What are some of the topics that you're addressing? Because you're taking this head on, like you're going for the hard stuff and then working backwards <laughs> from there. Yeah, um, well some of this is from stops that I've had before and, and some of it even was seminary. I, I didn't do the collegiate ministry track. You know, I, was, uh, I was a theology, philosophy, and history guy. And I was the guy in seminary who said, hey, Aramaic sounds like fun. So I'm just kind of a big nerd to begin with. But um, as, as, as I moved across, I've, and I've had interactions even with Christian students, you know, there's some real questions about really deep level stuff that they don't seem to be encountering good answers to wherever it is they've been, you know, churches, other ministries, whatever. Um, and so, and then some of this was also just this context that I'm in. We meet a lot of students through service projects. So, we went to Ecuador last summer, took 19 students, and I'm pretty sure that 10 or 11 of them aren't Christians. I know six yeah. of them weren't. Yeah. And I got pretty close to one of the guys who is former Christian, now agnostic. And we started having some of these conversations as we got, as we got back and started building a relationship. And it was all stuff that I had heard from Christian students who were struggling with this stuff. He was just five or six years down the other end and had never found any really good answers. Yeah, And so... We started uh, brainstorming with the leadership team about what we could do in the spring that would be a little different, and we decided we were going to focus on subjects and issues of doubt. And so, so far this semester, we've addressed the idea that all religions teach the same thing. Um, They don't. We've discussed how can we know God exists or why do we believe God exists and talked about how that's just not deciding on something and then burying your head in the sand. There's actually reason to think this. Uh, we've talked about how we got the New Testament and why the New Testament is reliable and how that compares to other sacred texts. Uh, we've addressed, spent two weeks addressing sexuality. Uh, one week in particular, we dealt with 
uh, Christians and homosexuality. Uh, last week was just general sexuality. Why, why does God even care who, who we sleep with and who we love? Um, throughout the rest of the semester, we're going to hit issues like why do people suffer? Um, we're going to have one week where we look at the Old Testament and talk about hey, did, did God actually command genocide? Because that's something that students are worried about. Uh, they see some of the atrocities in the world, and they look back in the Old Testament and be like, well, that God is the same thing. Um, and just hitting stuff like that, uh, we, we take 10 minutes on Thursday and kind of introduce it, and I try to make it where it's a little interactive. We, we try to solicit follow-up questions. We record that, put it on a podcast, and then um, address those follow-up questions in a subsequent podcast so later really, next week. really, obviously, you're not going to, somebody that's really got a lot of, doubt questions or is really a skeptic obviously not necessarily 10 minutes are they going to just transform but you're really it sounds like you're really trying to to plant seeds and engage in meaningful com- conversations even if that's a one-on-one conversation or maybe somebody from your leadership team that's connected with them to equip that person to to go out uh, to really spend time with that person so this this isn't a quick fix thing get them spiritually right this is really answering some heavy level questions for them. Yeah, um, what, what I, the phrase I use with our leadership team as we were planning this semester is, I, I think we traffic in relationships. Yeah. And we have the students who, because they are so heady, for lack of a better mm-hmm. term, and who know why they don't believe something, there's not going to be a quick fix. And it, it's... As you kind of study how, how students like that become Christians, you see that it is, it is over a long haul of yeah. time with multiple relationships. And what we teach our leadership team is and we, we've got to stop thinking about conversion as a light switch moment yeah. where you're going to say the yeah. right thing that's going to pierce this person's heart and the light's going to come on. Like most of the time that doesn't happen. It's more like a continuum. Yeah. where if you're ranking somebody on a scale of zero, like I don't want to believe that God exists, to 10, I'm a Christian, and we're, we're targeting these students who are in the two or three range. So, and we all want to be the one that moves them from nine to 10. Yeah. But we've got to be willing as, as our role at this point to be the one who moves them from a two to a four. And it's almost like Jim Ingalls' <laughs> scale from way back. That probably predates you, but, but he has a, a scale that actually starts on the negative side, people that have no knowledge of Christianity. And, and just getting them to zero is sort of introducing the whole idea, but then from zero to where they, where they eventually do come to a belief, uh, it's, it's not, you, unless the Holy Spirit just does something miraculous, it's not jumping from zero to 10 and, as you say, a light switch moment. It really does take an investment in relationship uh, and seeing people more as, as people to, to love and to, to lead and to interact with and not projects, yeah. not an evangelism project. Yeah, and, and the guy that I referenced who went to Ecuador with us, who in large part kind of spurred this whole idea, I'll go out to lunch with him once a month, and it might be every other month where we talk about spiritual stuff. Sometimes it's just, hey, how you doing? Tell me about yeah. your family. Like his grandmother had surgery over Christmas. Like, How's your grandmother doing? And, and that keeps that relationship going. But what that does is... I'll always look for an opportunity to kind of nudge the conversation a little bit. But at the same time, I give him the freedom. If he wants to shut it down, then they'll shut it down. We're in this for the long term. I know he's going to be here for 18 more months. I've got more opportunities. 
but we've, we've built this relationship where he knows to expect that from me. And he's actually one of the guys who's, actually, who's helped me recruit students for our summer mission <laughs> trip this year. Not a Christian, yeah. not going with us, but he's telling people you need yeah. to come and you, you need to be involved. It, here. it obviously sounds like he's obviously not heard anything yet that offends him, that he's willing to continue to engage in the conversation and participate in what's going on. Well, and I'll let him have the last word. Like that, that's one of the things that really frustrates me when we get into when Christians actually will engage in these conversations, a lot of times it becomes a contest to see who can win the argument. I have absolutely no, no interest in winning the argument with right. him. I want to win him. Yeah. And so I'm going to push him, at, but I'm going to let him shut a conversation down. I'm going to let him have the last word, but I know he's going to keep thinking about it because he comes back to me and says, hey, we talked about this, and so I've been thinking. Uh, he actually recommended that we do a book swap. Wow. over Christmas. Yeah. So he came into my office and said, what do you recommend for me? I'm going to bring you something to read. Yeah. And so we did it. And we sat down and talked about it. And he's, he's open. And we see that with, with other students. I've, I've got um, two quick examples. I've got a first-year med student who the week that we were covering uh, why we, why, or the reliability of the New Testament and how that compares to other sacred texts, she invited a friend who is a former Muslim, now agnostic, they left here and had a two and a half hour conversation on the subject. She sent me a list of his questions. Wow. We've worked yeah. through, this is how you talk about this. And yeah. she is continuing to engage in him. And after engaging again with him, he has said he wants to talk to me. Yeah. They're just on spring break and have been busy studying for exams, which is very important to them. Yeah. I understand that. <laughs> um, and then we, we've started setting up these opportunities where uh, we'll pick a date on the calendar and say, hey, on this Thursday night, we're going to go to this restaurant. And my leadership team is coming, and the understanding is I want you to use that time. If you have somebody that you've been talking to or praying about talking to, invite them. And if yeah. you have a conversation about the gospel with them or just about faith in general, it can be one of those things that kind of leads up to faith because that happens with, with our students mm -hmm. here a lot. Um, and save your receipt and I'll buy it and if we spend all our money yeah. on you sharing the gospel one on one with people yeah. I think my boss will be okay with it yeah. um, and last Thursday we did that and we had a student who came and uh, they, were, they were sitting down on the other end of the table and called me over and we wound up having a two hour conversation wow. with this guy who's former Church of Christ who got into school and started asking questions didn't really get a lot of good answers to it and just really engaging him where he was. And at, at the end of the conversation, it was, man, I really want to really keep this going. I yeah. want to talk more and find out more about this. Um, so students are open. They want to talk about it. But especially our students, where we are, they're so cerebral that they've got to process it. Yeah. And they've got to think through it. And so a lot of times what, what I do isn't so much answer their questions, but try to show them that they actually don't have the best answer. Right. And that gets them thinking through, and okay, well, what would you say about this then? Yeah. And well, you know, it sounds, you're in your upper 20s, so you're- I'm 32. Are you really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, that's, for some reason, I'm thinking <laughs> you're 27. I'm deceptively um, young looking. So um, obviously still though in the, the millennial generation, uh, Majority, if not all, of the people you're dealing with are in the millennial generation. Uh, you know, there's, for better or worse, there's a lot of misinformation, information about millennials. But from from the perspective that you're looking at, as far as connecting with, and witnessing, and reasoning with millennials on spiritual issues, 
What are a couple of the things that people really need to be aware of when they're dealing with millennials when it comes to uh, leading them to faith in Christ? You've got to know your stuff. And knowing your stuff is more than citing one Bible first and saying something along the lines of the Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it. Um, that's a turnoff to them because they value education and they value intellect and they've had very intelligent people who they respect who have given them seemingly reasonable explanations for why they shouldn't believe this. Mm. Um, and we have to be able to have really difficult questions, or address really difficult and uncomfortable questions aside from throwing down any kind of gauntlet. Um, we, you've got to be in relationship with them. It, it's the, the kind of cliche thing is true that you know, they, they don't care what you know until they know what you care, mm. they know that you care. That's very much true for young adults. Um, but when they know you care, they, they not only will listen to you, they will seek you out mm -hmm. to talk to you about things that you would never know. Um, and I've had students confess some really crazy things that, you know, on any given day, you're not waking up thinking that you're going to wind up having a conversation yeah. about subject yeah. X, but, um, but they know that I care about them. They, yeah. they know that I'm, I'm willing to talk about things that are hard. I'm, I'm willing to process through those things and not just it's this or that, yeah. the end yeah. kind of thing. Um, when, when that happens, you know, that they disengage. And okay, well, you're not even open to any sort of alternative or other perspective. And they're a generation that values alternatives and other perspectives. Well, you know, I think that, and feel free to correct this if this is wrong, I think older generations get so hung up that we need to communicate with them through the technology and all that kind of stuff. And it really sounds like what you say they're really looking for is authenticity. That, that the technology and, you know, all the things that we think we need to be up on is really a secondary issue. It helps when you engage in that, that realm, but ultimately, authenticity you approaching me and me approaching you from a perspective that there is a mutual respect and that i genuinely do care yeah our what i've noticed over a couple of campuses is everybody is on social media everybody's on the web they don't so much consume branded content like that like if if i get on my personal snapchat and I start doing videos where I'm basically preaching or um, sharing a gospel message or something, they're, they're going to know what that is and they're gonna, it's done, yeah. don't have time for yeah. that. When I get on those social media tools and I connect with them personally and I share about you know, my daughter, I share about the trip that we're going on or I'm going to see my family, yeah. They come back and ask me about that. Yeah, hey, a real I saw person that with you, a real yeah, life. You're, yeah. you're, you, you actually do things yeah. outside of this. and you, <laughs> you have a life. You, you have a family and you, there are other things that you're interested in and you're involved in. And, and that kind of humanizes me. And, and it humanizes our ministry some. You know, we don't yeah. put a whole lot out as a ministry. You know, we'll, we'll advertise. I'll send out an email. I don't forget about lunch today. Or hey, we're going to go do this. Or there's this deadline for the mission trip coming up. But... Outside of that, man, we don't, we try not to over communicate stuff. We try not to overdo it. We, we use all that stuff as a tool to have a window into their lives yeah. and, and for them to have a window into our lives. And, and as I said, it, 
it's we're trafficking in relationships. Yeah. It, it's just a tool for us to get to know them, for them to get to know us a little bit better. Um, now we do the podcast, yeah. But the reason we do the podcast is because in a year and a half of being here, I, I haven't had really one successful small group. So we kind of punted on the on the small group idea. We're pushing students into churches for that, but this is a way for us to fill a gap that we don't really see churches engaging in this way. Yeah. And well, and you mentioned earlier just their schedules. I mean, yeah. this this allows you to get that type of teaching uh, that you're wanting to cover in those hard issues into their hands for them to consume when they have the opportunity to consume it. And otherwise, they physically have to be here to hear it, and you would miss your opportunity. Right. So this is an opportunity for you not to miss their, them not to miss their opportunity. Right. And these guys, you hear, hear college students all the time talk about how busy they are. What I tell people, the difference between my students and college students or regular undergraduate students is regular undergraduate students will tell you how busy they are and binge watch Netflix for six hours that night. <laughs> my students will tell you how busy they are, and then they will actually study. Yeah. Um, at the very beginning of the semester, we'll go visit local churches as groups, you know, first Sunday that after they start yeah. school. Yeah. And, they, hey, we're going to go to this church and then stick around afterwards. I'll buy you lunch. Yeah. Church is over. Hey, y'all coming to lunch? Nope, got to go study. Yeah. And, and they mean that. And, and part of me, you know, when I first got here, it was like, man, what am I, how are we going to compete with this? But then I started to appreciate it a little more. And like, man, you know, I... I really don't want my doctors and my dentists referencing their textbooks when they're treating me. Right. So it's a good thing for them to be that devoted to this. We, we do want to try to carve out and emphasize to them that this, this is a priority for you and it's not something, you know, your spiritual life, wherever you stand in it, is not something that for two to four years you can go put on a shelf and then yeah. That's right. Pull it pick back it back up, up yeah. later. Like, it doesn't get picked back up. And when, when you leave here, you might think that you're going to have all this free time. No, you, you're going to have a life. You're yeah. probably going to have your own office, your own practice, which means you have responsibilities at work. You have employees. Some of you are, are either already married or going to be married. or You're going to be having kids. Like yeah. the, the complexity just goes up from here. So you've really got to figure out now yeah, how to lasso that. this and how to make this a priority and what that looks like day to day for you. Well, one other thing I wanted to touch on, and you uh, back backing up just a little bit, <clears throat> mentioned churches. Churches, everybody talks about wanting to connect with millennial generation. What are just some, maybe one, two, three things that just you know churches could do that would give them a better opportunity to connect with millennials and reach millennials in their communities? They're not interested in your events. Um, the, the best event that a church can do is still a church event. And you either, you either have the really dedicated Christian millennials who are already involved somewhere, or you have those who are pretty much completely disengaged and it, you're just not going to be on their radar. What we've kind of stumbled into by accident here is the, the way that we connect with law students is we serve with them. We find ways uh, to develop service opportunities. Um, and, and we did two last year, where uh, we went to an apartment complex around town and did a, a what well, we tried to do, a dental clinic for refugee families. Mm. And we partnered with a local church, we partnered with another nonprofit in the area. Had about 15 students come out, I knew six of them. 
So nine new people. Yeah. When we went to Ecuador, we took 19 students. I knew five of them, yeah. 14 new people. And three or four of those we've had regular ongoing conversations about faith with yeah. since. This year, um, I've got, I think, 15 students signed up for Ecuador, and I know five of them. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's students who, and, and young people, who have an interest and who have a passion and who want to use their interests and passions to better their communities in some way, they will work with you outside of the walls of the church. Yeah. And then it becomes all about the relationship. But what a church has to understand is if they're going to do something like that, it has to be completely selfless. selfless. Yeah. The, the church cannot even appear to gain somehow yeah. from this or it reinforces this idea that churches are only concerned about themselves and are self-serving and, right. and whether you think that's true or not that's the perception that non-christian young adults have in yeah. the church and so we, we have to understand that but if you can find some way to be involved in your community you can find some way to advertise that and that's where social media becomes a tool you know hey join us for this work day where we're going to go clean up this really nasty park yeah. or we're going to go work at this um I don't know, housing project and yeah. do, you know, try to pick up or do auto care or, yeah. or something like that. And you, you're not going to get large responses. You know, it's not going to be something where in, in the old days where you have this event and 300 lost yeah. people come and they all hear this thing and a lot of them profess faith. It's going to be, you're going to have two or three people. So maybe churches need to, obviously a hallmark of millennials is service oriented yeah. so that's one thing second thing is with like churches in relation to that adjusting their expectation of what success looks like in reaching success may be we had three or two millennials we put on all call they came they participated we were able to to establish a relationship with them and now we're going to move forward looking for ways that we can just connect relationally with them mm -hmm. so uh, so maybe we need to adjust our expectation of what success is. Yeah, um, and I'm not saying that the Lord can't do something huge where sure. you know masses and masses of people come to faith in one fell swoop. But I think we we've got enough um, evidence now where that's not really common. Where right. where even you, when you look at Christ, you know, he he started with twelve, and of those twelve, he only really had eleven. And, and those 11 over a period of time were developed and began to change the world. Yeah. And, and that's kind of where we are now, where we've got to adjust the target a little bit and say, man, we're going to be happy with reaching three and really equipping and teaching and challenging those three. And those three are then going to go. Yeah. And, and that's going to become a, a ripple effect. You know, we didn't get where we are in our country, spiritually speaking, where there's more people who are saying that they have absolutely no faith than ever before, and that number's rapidly increasing. We didn't get there when somebody woke up one day and said, I don't think I'm gonna believe anything anymore. Right. Now, this happened over a period of 20 and 30 years, and so we're foolish if we think that it's just gonna get reversed like yeah, no that. no quick fix. It, yeah. It's gonna take time. It's gonna be people investing in the long haul. And, and what I really challenge churches with is I get to talk to them about this sometimes. I, I feel like there's a lot of times I'll, I'll butt up against the idea of, well, we could do all these things and we're not gonna see anything from it. And the, the frank truth is, yeah, for a lot of churches, you're going to do stuff like this, and you're probably never going to see a whole lot of fruit. And if you do, 
there's a good chance that even the people that you reach might leave and go mm. somewhere else. But Jesus said he was going to build his church. Yeah, that's right. And he didn't necessarily say anything about yours. Yeah. And so it's, it's this idea of being really selfless in our mindset of, man, maybe you're the one who connects with that person who's a three. Yeah. And you might move them on down that line somewhere. And, and praise God if you're right. the one who gets them to ten. But then you get them to ten, and, you're, and you kind of committed them to the Lord. Like well, that's that whole Paul, you know, some water, some, some plant, some water, some reap. And yeah. so, you know, be content with wherever you are. And when you have those opportunities, invest in that person and, and move the ball down the field in some way. Answer a question or invest in them some way spiritually as well as just investing in them. And churches can, can also really do their members a service by beginning to engage in some of these issues a little more deeply because your church members are going to be the ones who are talking to people about this. Like if you're a minister, you might have some opportunity. By and large, no. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, going to be, it's going to be challenging for you to make these sorts of connections yeah. just by virtue of the fact that you're a minister and people are going to know that and they're going to act differently and talk differently around you or just outright avoid you. Yeah. I, I get that some too. But my leadership team, who's in class with these people every day, you know, I might start a conversation or encourage them to start a conversation, but they're the ones that are having it yeah. and that are coming back to me and saying, okay, this is what's going on. Um, and and we, we spend time intentionally training them and teaching them. This is how you have this conversation. These are some resources that you can go to or you can point people to and you can always come see, come talk to me if you want. And it, but you know, if you can find it on your own, please find it on your own. Yeah. You don't need me for that. Um, but we we've got a lot of church members who just really have no idea how to even. They're, they're not even basically conversant. It's almost like we're <laughs> equipped in the wrong thing. It's it's good for us to have an understanding of things like four spiritual laws and those Bible verses because ultimately. It's, it's going to be the proclamation of the word that wins people to Christ. So we need to have that foundation. It's like a foundation. It's not we need to go find learn something else uh, as a substitute. What we need to do is find something else that's in addition to that, that is more that uh, in it for the long haul, building the relationship, and then as it's the opportunity is there to seed that conversation with all of those other things that we have always kind of had in our back pocket. A, a lot of those tools um, were, were really great when there was a common cultural understanding. Yeah. With young adults, we don't have a common cultural understanding anymore. And so whereas 30 years ago you could sit down with a Four Spiritual Laws conversation with somebody and they'd be tracking with you at least foundationally increasingly people under i mean let's even say 35 they're not tracking at point one yeah when 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 i say god i have to be very specific about which god how do i know anything about him why do i even believe in him is it a him you know that that's the point of conversation where we begin engaging with with young people yeah it's a great point because you know 30 40 years ago there was sort of this religiosity to culture i mean it was just kind of ubiquitous we still have blue laws and and those types of things and now that's just not the case we live in such a secularized culture and kids are growing up in, in very 
secularized houses that they don't even have a category from which to start a conversation about what you're talking until you lead them to that. It's either it's either secular or very pluralistic. Yeah. Where right. you know the the reason why when we started this this semester we started with do all religions teach the same thing because those are my students. Yeah. And they're the ones who because they're smart because they have neighbors and really good friends who belong to all these other faiths they don't. Even the Christian ones, and I, and I can kind of sympathize with this as a guy who doesn't really like confrontation, is we, we don't want to think that all these people are wrong. Mm. We, we, we like them, right. and so we want to be able to affirm them. Now, we understand as, as we approach Scripture and we look at the example of Christ and we compare religions, you know, hey, all these things can't teach the same. Like, they can't all go together, which means that... At least one of them has to have more truth, at least on some level, than, than some of the others. And when we were able to do that and kind of unpack, hey, this is what this faith teaches about this, and yeah. this is what this faith teaches about this, and they're not the same. It may be similar, but similar isn't same. Right. Then, then that's when students really started kind of engaging with this idea of, okay, so maybe we need to start asking some questions. We've mentioned the podcast a number of times. What's the name of the podcast? <laughs> well, it's it's called Sacred Space, but if you go looking for it like in iTunes, you'll have to search for UTHSC Space BCM. Uh, somebody else already had the Sacred Space name. So UTHSC BCM, that's our podcast. Well, I definitely encourage folks to, to go and listen to that podcast, um, not only to because it's informative, the, the topics that you've covered, but it does give uh, people an idea of what it is that your, your ministry is and what you're trying to do with students. And the cool thing is, is you are part of a uh, Baptist Collegiate Ministry across Tennessee that potentially can reach 350,000 students, most of whom are showing up on our campuses who have no understanding of who Jesus Christ is or a wrong understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Uh, Tennessee Baptists support more than 20 campus ministers through Golden Offering Cooperative Program. And, and Tennessee Baptists are having a presence there. And we're seeing some great things come out of our Baptist Collegiate Ministries from Memphis all the way east across to East Tennessee State University. So strongly encourage people to find out more about uh, what, what we're doing as Tennessee Baptist and Collegiate Ministry. And just want to thank you for the time that you've taken to give us a little bit of a glimpse on what's going on here. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Radio B&R, a podcast production of The Baptist and Reflector, the official news journal of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. This and other episodes can be downloaded at baptistandreflector.org forward slash radio BR. The ministries of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board are supported through the cooperative program and gifts received through the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. For more information, visit tnbaptist.org.